Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and I'm so glad you're back here with us on Why Do Pets Matter? Today, I have the honor of interviewing my good friend, my new friend, Caroline Griffin, who is the co-founder of Share Your Soft Side. She's an attorney like me, but she doesn't practice either. We found the um, Kool-Aid that we desire better, which is animals, um, and she's an animal advocate. I am so glad you're here, Carolyn. It's such a pleasure to speak with you, Deborah. Thank you so much. Well, we are always so glad to have people on with diverse opinions. So before we do anything else, you know that you have to answer that one difficult question. Why do pets matter to you? Pets have always been one of the greatest joys in my life uh, since since practically the day I was born. Uh, my first word was Cleo, which was the name of the beagle who lived next door. And, and I was lucky to grow up with animals, have had them my entire adult life. And as I've gotten older, it's, it's uh, it, you know, during our darkest hours, they are an incredible source of comfort to us when we're sick or when we're processing grief. And my mother had Alzheimer's. And I remember uh, one of the last times she was at my home, she really lost her ability to talk. And she was sitting on the sofa, very quiet. And I brought my cat and, and just placed her right next to her on the sofa. And she completely lit up and started talking. It was really a very profound moment for me. And it made me realize I firmly believe that animals give us so much more than we give them. And we need to uh, not only protect them, but treasure them. You know, it's interesting you said that because um, I had a dog who went to live with uh, a pet owner of mine who had puppies or dogs for me. Uh, and her mom had Alzheimer's. And she asked me if she could take one of my girls because it was the only thing that grounded her mother. She would be grounded and remember um, Redding, who was her dog, even though my dog was Athena, the dog she was petting, you know, it was an Irish setter, so it was close enough for government work, right? They both were Irish setters. But she would be grounded and remember Redding and remember everything because this dog was in her life. And so I did, I gave, I gave my dog to them so that they could hold on to their mother's memory, at least for the dogs for a significant period of time. Yeah, it's wonderful. And, and so many people I know who have children who are going through difficult periods in their lives uh, have, have had similar experiences where animals seem to heal us uh, better than anything else. 
it's interesting. I, ha- I just came up, you know how Facebook has those videos that come up and I just had the video come up, I think for one of the cancer medications that you can take at home. And every single one of those commercials, when they say, do you want to go to the hospital and take this medication or do you want to be home and take this medication? Every single one of them has a dog in the the whole entire program, you know, the little commercial, they have a, a dog. And I, of course, say, well, cat people unite and raise your hand and say cats do the same thing. Uh, however, I always say, if that's the case, then we should really, as you're an animal advocate, so you know where my heart is, we should recognize that these animals provide us with so much solace when we are fighting, um, taking care of ourselves. They're taking care of us as well. And sometimes when we are ill or, you know, recovering from cancer surgery or broken arm or broken leg or, you know, replace something, shoulder, hip, you know, we can do that now. These animals really give us the impetus to get up. Absolutely. And we live in this very data-driven world and we see study after study about how our companion animals reduce stress and, and the like. And oftentimes people read these and they think, well, duh, I, I, we know that, but in order to uh, have better protections for them. I, I do think we need the data behind what we all know from our life experiences that they enhance our lives and uh, just make us healthy, happier people. Well, the University of Denver uh, and Green Chimneys here in New York do so many studies that actually prove what we already know, which is animals make our lives better. Uh, But they do the double-blind studies. They do the long-term impact studies and research. It's unbelievable. Uh, I love Mari has also done um, a great amount of funding for research that really identifies the human-animal bond and how it really enhances our lives. Right. And and that's a great group. But we have worked with the Institute of Human Animal Connection and with our humane education program, and they are doing so much of that widespread research to prove these concepts. Prove what we know. <laughs> we know. Yes. It's interesting. It's when I first started speaking, um, wonderful Carl, Dr. Carl Jandry, who was the emergency vet out at, uh, he's now in um, administration. He's phenomenal out at UC Davis. He said to me, you know, Deborah, everything you say is right. He goes, but you don't have the research to support you. And it's interesting that we know what the outcome's going to be, but some people need the data. And I get it um, because I'm an attorney. You know, we have to have precedent. We have to set precedent. But sometimes it takes a long time to do that. And so could we possibly understand that, yeah, this is how it works and how do we continue to facilitate it? Right. So University of Denver is, is doing phenomenal work. Yeah, I love um, Phil Tedesco. He's Tedesco, I think, is, is his name. He's just phenomenal. Tedeschi, yeah. yeah. Tedeschi, right. And we work with uh, Dr. Sarah Bexell, who... who oh, I love Sarah. Yeah. ...program, so uh, just superb people. And and just um, make it look so easy. I mean, when they put on their conferences and people get up and talk about different things that you'd never think of, it's sort of like um, uh, Robert Mitchell at Eastern Kentucky University who, goes, who does a, a conference called Living with Animals, where people come along and have done their PhD research projects on the animals in novels, like Black Beauty and things. I, I sit there and I listen to these brilliant people speak and I go, wow, you know, when I read a book, I'm sort of very surface. I read it and go, that was a really great book, but I don't 
necessarily look at the what innuendo and i don't know that the author does either but people do have the ability to pull out the innuendo that might have been you know divinely guided so that you can get a better outcome or understand a better way of doing things absolutely it's amazing. It's amazing. So tell us a little more about um, Share Your Soft Side, because that is such a wonderful group program that's going to probably revolutionize the world. Yeah, it, it, we started out being uh, an anti-cruelty campaign, and it has grown so substantially that it, I, I consider it more of a movement now. Um, but it started about uh, nine years ago. I was chairing uh, the mayor's anti-animal abuse task force in Baltimore uh, after a dog had been soaked in gasoline and set on fire. It was a horrific crime. Uh, two 17-year-old boys were charged, uh, never convicted. Uh, and it, this task force was just, we were just seeing just uh, so many cases, but the worst cases of animal cruelty were being perpetrated by kids, uh, some as young as 10 years old. And um, in addition to this dog getting set on fire, a cat was set on fire, uh, an eight-week-old puppy was beaten to death on a public golf course. And the common denominator is that it was it was actually groups of boys perpetrating these crimes. And it, it, they, they were almost seemed as if uh, they viewed animal cruelty as some kind of rite of passage for proving their manhood. Uh, and so the task force recommended, among many other uh, recommendations, that we needed a, a, a public service campaign. Uh, and we were given no money and no resources to implement our recommendations. And when I looked into the cost of uh, doing some kind of a campaign, it was in extraordinarily expensive. And in one of my many moments of despair, uh, my now partner, Sandy Rizet, who uh, is an advertising professional, reached out to me and said, uh, do you want to join forces to try to create an anti-cruelty campaign? Um, and we came from such different backgrounds, and I think our differences are, are our strength. Um, she and I and our third partner and, and a bunch of people tried to create this anti-cruelty campaign. We wanted an effective, unsentimental campaign with a, a provocative tagline to prove that compassion is strength, not a weakness. And we wanted role models that would be influential to our target audience. And so uh, we photographed three professional athletes with their pets with this tagline of only a punk would hurt a cat or dog. And uh, Thanks to the internet, um, we launched a campaign and, and the images literally uh, crossed the globe overnight. We had a very modest goal of just printing some posters and distributing them to school, schools in Baltimore City. And the next day, uh, we were getting calls all over the country and even abroad, people wanting our posters. And so... Uh, we didn't realize we were really on to something. There was a lot of compassion fatigue about animal cruelty. It was a crime that people cared about but had a hard time uh, witnessing. And this drew people in without making them turn away because our photographer, who's also a recovered lawyer, takes up to 200 images uh, of these 
uh, celebrities cradling their animals. And he gets that perfect photograph. And sometimes we Photoshop the dog with the, you know, with the person. But um, it really is a campaign that has resonated and has grown in so many ways. Uh, and uh, we're just thrilled to share our message of compassion and strength. You know, it is incredible. You know, Brene Brown always says to be vulnerable is to have more courage. So to um, be compassionate is also to show more courage because you really do have to be in touch with your soft side in order to make sure these pets um, or any person uh, or animal is cared for. So I love that you took pictures with athletes so that people could identify with that over the pressure of being part of a group and this is what we do. It's it's part of what I talk about, and I'd love to hear your your thoughts. Uh, restorative justice is something that I'm passionate about, especially in animal abuse, because we, if we can find these uh, people who abuse, especially when they're younger, like you said, they were like ten years old, and have the community explain to them what their actions did to the community, not just what their actions did to this animal, but the community, the impact on the community of seeing someone who had such disregard for life um, and a life that did nothing wrong to them, that did, you know, didn't do anything to them, but for the fact that this was some rite of passage or whatever. Uh, if, if we could create that um, as a punishment, as opposed to incarceration or fines, I don't think fines ever stop anybody from doing anything. It's my thought, and I'll be pulverized probably um, on that. But I think that um, requiring people to uh, face a group of people who let them know. And it's hard. I mean, you know this. It's hard to hear how somebody felt when they saw what you did. Right, right. And and I think the approach of uh, this campaign is effective because we use these extraordinarily successful, visible people who uh, are so aggressive on a football field. I mean, these are tough linebackers pounding the crap out of people. Right. right. Mixed martial artists. Uh, and they can be incredibly vulnerable with, with their animals. Um, and, and so it's, it, it's not a punitive message. It's, it's a, it's a positive message. And, and we have found that kids want to emulate these right people they idolize. And so, uh, I, I think it's effective in, in the sense that it's positive. Um, and, and to your point about the restorative justice, is it, it's, uh, it, it's always a red flag when you see a child uh, hurting an animal. They, and, and, and we have to d- dig a little bit deeper. You know, they may be bullied at school. Um, I, you know, the statistics on, on interpersonal violence are, are so stunning to me. The, the last I saw, you know, among women who were entering uh, domestic violence shelters, uh, they say a third of their, they've witnessed a third of their children uh, engaging in animal cruelty as well. You know, in 77% of these cases, uh, a person is being abused as well as an animal. And then, you know, so often, and I'm not a psychologist, but so often the, the children uh, pick up on that behavior, they feel victimized, and then they victimize their animals. It, it's such a vicious cycle. And uh, uh, we're just starting to understand that a little bit better. 
Absolutely. You know, it's it's such an important cycle to recognize because, as you probably know, Phil Arkow has the Link Coalition, which links uh, animal abuse to child abuse to domestic violence and elder abuse. And he's done all the research, sort of like the University of Denver with animal abuse and, and uh, or human-animal bond. Uh, so Phil has dedicated his life to this and, and has some great, any of my listeners, if they want to find him, it's the Link Coalition. And if you do Phil Arkow, you'll find him. Um, he's got great articles. And I, I love when you said this is, this is something that um, really precipitates or pre, precipitates, right, um, what's going to happen later. Maybe domestic violence, maybe elder abuse, because if children are abused um, or they see abuse, sometimes the only thing they have power over is this animal. Um, or worse, sometimes, um, if you are being abused, you may not be physically abused, but I've been involved in cases where the animal was used to make sure you um, cooperated with whatever I wanted you to do. So I will break your horse's leg if you don't do what I do. And and I know you know this, but um, a number of people who are the um, victims of domestic violence don't have bruises or anything like that. They just live in fear for their animals, especially horses, because you really can't leave uh, with your bag and your toothbrush when you have a bunch of horses out in the barn. And so I work really tirelessly with people who are victims of domestic violence of any kind um, and help them facilitate how to um, find that plan for their pets so they can leave. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and that's why this cross-reporting is, is such an important issue. Uh, we had trouble in, in Baltimore getting traction on that, but um, when animals are being abused, it's very likely that people are being abused and vice versa. And so, you know, if an animal control officer enters a home and sees something suspicious, it is such a valuable tool if they simply refer the matter to social services or, or whatever agency might have uh, jurisdiction over that issue. And um, it's, it, it, it's, it's really to the point that you always talk about is that we just have to continue this dialogue, but that we all live in the, our tunnels uh, and, and, and domestic violence and animal abuse, they're, they're, they're crimes of violence, they're crimes of power and control, and they're so interrelated. And it's such, such a red flag and such an opportunity for law enforcement agencies to work together and, and view this problem much more holistically than we have in the past. And with social workers and mental health professionals, it can really blossom into something where you actually enable the people to step away from the projected path they're going to take because they're going to make a different choice. And using, you know, wonderful athletes or actors or anyone who has cred on the street, you know, um, saying that animals are our souls and we really should not abuse them, nor should we abuse anybody in our family, really hits home. And if they're already being pressured and maybe they've been arrested or maybe they've, um, done something that's gotten them in trouble, being able to, to pull them out and say, you know, there's a better way. And would you like to try it? Would you like to be um, part of this uh, group, this, this pioneering group that takes a stand and says, you know, no more, uh, 
because that's the thing that I think community involvement, which you do all the time and I do all the time, community involvement, not to condemn and blame and shame. There's enough of that going around. Uh, but rather to say, listen, we want you. You're a valuable member of our community. You are worthy of being part of our community. Now let's see how we can help you choose to be a valuable part of our community that doesn't um, engage in this kind of thing and also explains why it doesn't work for you so you can stop it moving forward. It's like paying it forward. Right. And one of the things that SoftSide has always done, we we have always shipped our posters free of charge to teachers and humane educators around the country and around the world. Uh, and we were fortunate about two years ago to partner with Dr. Sarah Bexell at uh, the University of Denver. And she and her graduate students uh, created lesson plans for use specifically uh, for our campaign called Cool to Be Kind. Uh, we got a small grant, and they actually piloted the lesson plans uh, in, in some uh, public schools in Denver. And even though it was a very small study, uh, they did do some qualitative and quantitative testing, and and the study proved that this was effective. And we all know that one-time interventions are, are never enough. You know, education has and one-time to punishments, never enough. I'll just be, you know, more, you know, circumspect next time. Exactly. But it, it, we have found it's a, it's a foot in the door. Um, it did reaffirm that the use of celebrities helps to reinforce that lesson. Um, one child disclosed that animal abuse was occurring in the home. So it was, it's an effective violence uh, prevention tool. Uh, and so it, it's been hard with COVID because uh, we've had to suspend our campaign and our humane education for obvious reasons. Uh, and so we have, uh, I hate the word because everyone's using it, but we have, we had to pivot as well. And so we have spent uh, the past six months um, thanks to our corporate sponsors, distributing about $50,000 worth of pet food to people in need. And uh, we have a medical fund that helps sick, sick and injured animals. So our main focus is to stop animal cruelty before it starts. That's our ultimate goal, deterrence. And, and some people I really respect in the law enforcement world have, have, have given us uh, their opinion that they think this could be effective to deter to deter future crime. But uh, during COVID, we're sort of focusing on the most immediate needs, and there's so many to try to their with their animals. Um, and so we're, we're doing what we can to preserve the family unit, which includes our, our animals. That's such a great pivot you made because there's been so much talk about people who, you know, got an animal to go through COVID or who have animals um, but have lost their jobs. And so being able to buy food for your family uh, is is a challenge for for most Americans now because we, you know, we've we've all had to take a cut in everything. And to be able to give them the ability to keep their pets, which keep them well, in my, in my, I can only speak for myself, but it keeps them sane while they're home all the time. And I'm sure you'd agree that your pets kept you sane while you were home all the time. But I, I often, um, when there's a lot of chatter um, about how the dogs will be dropped off once you go back to work or how the dogs will be dropped off because you lost your job. Well, instead of um, anticipating the worst, why don't we 
pivot and try to support like you did the people who need the support because they don't want to give up their dogs and cats but if it's a choice between their dogs and cats and feeding their kids well then that's not even a fair choice that's sort of like an oh my god choice and i've had a number of people on um who've posted either on my facebook or my linkedin that says i would never give up my animal and i said well that that's you but i'm never going to condemn anyone who has to make that choice because i'm not walking in their shoes and i think that's what's so great about um your soft side is that you're not walking in the celebrity's shoes, but the celebrity is saying to you, if you were um, walking in my shoes and seeing me do what I do, you have to understand that pets have really been an important part of my life. And we don't want you to engage in anything that would hurt your pet. We don't engage in anything that hurts our pet. Correct. And, and really the softies, and now we have about 240 of them across the country, are are our ambassadors, uh, and many of them have been very articulate, effective advocates in uh, Annapolis, where they've helped pass legislation. Uh, one of our softies testified on Capitol Hill, uh, who, who uh, is a combat vet who uh, really just has has uh, talked so openly about his struggles coming back from Afghanistan when he had to have his leg amputated below the knee, and he's had a, a dog that that has been such a source of uh, comfort for him. Um, and so they, we have a, a, an army of ambassadors who, you know, work with their shelters in their local communities to spread this message, which started out in Baltimore, but really now is uh all worldwide yeah worldwide actually so it's about the you know the soft side of everyone which usually includes an animal some people i want to i want to raise my hand and say it doesn't matter if you don't want animals in your life that's okay it doesn't make you a bad person there are so many people who listen to my podcast because of its sort of its middle of the ground uh, always recognizing that some people don't like animals or, or can't have animals because they're allergic and they're okay too i don't think they would want an animal abused either so they would be on board with this program because it is important to educate young people um, and to recognize the value animals bring to our lives. So we covered Alzheimer's, where your mother and my friend's mother really lit up and maybe got a little more grounding because an animal was in their life, which I think is phenomenal. Um, we both talked about how in uh, cancer or when you're sick, being able to uh, find a way to keep an animal in your life. That's what I do with the map plan. You know, you make a plan and then your animal stays in your life and you don't have to take care of it. And then finally, where animal abuse is concerned um, and the human animal bond, it is imperative that we have people help us educate uh, younger people, even older people, even people subject to domestic violence, that there are people out there who want to tell you that taking care of an animal is a good thing, being kind to an animal is a good thing. Um, and if you are either part of uh, abuse or you're witnessing abuse, make a phone call, do something. Um, let's not make a phone call because we're mad at our neighbor for leaving their garbage, you know, and call somebody and say, well, you know, they're abusing their pet. That's not what we ever want to happen. But if you think something's going on, make a phone call. And then of course, as Carolyn and I always talk about having a conversation that's sort of collaborative, uh, it should be because we want to make sure that, you know, these animals 
uh, are well taken care of either in that home because the person just might not know what they're doing or not doing, or um, enabling them to recognize that the animal might not be in a good place with them and so release it so that it can find a better home um, and then not get another one. So it's, it's always a delicate dance because we can always arrest them and punish them and, you know, find them and do whatever it is we currently do um, in the legal field. But it doesn't, and I don't know, Carolyn, you can disagree with me, please. Um, I don't know that punishing people with a fine or something really stops them in their tracks, um, in the, in the larger picture and, uh, makes them change their ways. I think it is more a community involvement, uh, education, making sure that they take responsibility and accountability for what they've done and understand why this is so abhorrent, both for their community and for the animal that was involved. Right. Well, it's a spectrum. I mean, yep. uh, you know, the majority of, of, of animal abuse cases are, are, or neglect, but when when you see some of the felonies that we saw in Baltimore, I mean, uh, the the most uh, critical need we had was to get these cases investigated and prosecuted zealously. Um, and there's been a lot of training and uh, a lot of awareness, and people are reporting it. Um, but uh, thankfully, those uh, those felony cases are are. The minority of cases. Um, so it's a different, it's not a one size fits all. I think you, when you talk to a lot of judges, they say, uh, you know, it, it, it's not effective to have a violence prevention uh, program for everybody. It's not a one size fits all. We just have to, it, it's labor intensive to figure out what's going on. Um, but you have to put some time and effort and that's the way we will stop these crimes. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's, interesting trying to find people who want to help, like your celebrities, who want to help long term. So the um, celebrities do those wonderful posters that go up in classrooms, which is phenomenal. And then we need boots on the ground, because I have found that when we want to create um, a learning process for people who have um, been convicted of a felony or even a misdemeanor animal um, abuse charge, uh, having them be sort of um, trained in the proper care of an animal and how an animal will definitely uh, react to good versus bad. Um, a lot of people that I, at least that I've met, aren't necessarily um, keen to do that. So we, we have to create like, um, show your soft side. We have to create people who are willing to actually help these people um, understand what their conduct is doing in their life. So it's ruining their life, uh, but also because they're going to jail or being fined, um, but also what it's doing to the community, because maybe I won't do it for myself because I don't care. Um, and I'm a tough guy, but if I recognize the entire community is definitely not with me, um, and, and I have harmed people's you know, a psyche by seeing what I've done that might have a huge impact. So I'm, I'm absolutely for prosecuting to, because I was a prosecutor in, in the old days before I drank the Kool-Aid of mediation, uh, prosecuting. And I'd like to take it a little bit step further. So if they, you know, have to be on probation or pay a fine, I'd like them to be, because most of the animal advocates don't feel as if a fine or probation or whatever is the first level um, is educational enough. I'd like to make sure there's some way that we can um, put them in a position to uh, 
appreciate and acknowledge what they need to do to make sure the things uh, are corrected. I, I hate to punish um, and not correct the conduct. That's that's my big thing. I want to punish with the ability to, uh, as Brene Brown says, you know, dig yourself out um, and be part of the solution. Exactly. And I think someone who's gone through it, um, coming back and being allowed to be part of the solution might be huge as, as you know, this is how it ruined my life or this is how um, I had acted and, and you don't want to do this because this is what happened. So having those as well, we'll have to work on that, Carol, those as well, that would be really impactful because here are the people who you know, had a good life, had whatever, or maybe didn't have a good life. Uh, but this is what happened to them. And they're willing to come forward and say, you don't want to do this. It's, it's, it's so for all of us, we know it's more impactful to hear from one of your cohorts in your community, um, how, what they did to an animal, um, really wrecked their life than to find it from somebody who's not in your community, maybe somebody you look up to, but not in your community. And it, it, you know, both of them work miracles. It's, it's been incredible. So Carolyn, I am so glad you're here. We're running out of time and I want to make sure everyone knows that Carolyn Griffin is the bomb. She is the co-founder of Share Your Soft Side, which is single-handedly now helping people retain their pets post-COVID, but before and probably in the future, she will be helping people understand how being vulnerable um, and being compassionate about animals is really courageous and really um, shows your strength as opposed to thinking that maybe abusing an animal will know that you're strong. Correct. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, Carolyn, you'll be back. I know you will. And um, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you like the podcast, I would appreciate you commenting. And if you share it, I would be eternally grateful. Until the next time, why do pets matter to you? This is Deborah Hamilton. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover, write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.